Okay, let's have prayer together first. Thank you, Lord, for the chance to study Your Word. We love it. We know how valuable it is to our life, and we are so grateful You've given it to us. Lord, once again, we ask Your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Open our hearts and our minds. Help us to understand uh, as we study the Scripture. Apply it individually to each of our lives where we need it. Encourage us. Teach us. And help us to be more like You. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are just about finished up with our series called Spiritual Bodybuilding or Bodybuilding God's Way. And what we're talking about are five main things that God uses in our life to help us to grow spiritually, to become stronger as believers. We've talked about the Bible. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about church. Now, this week and next week, we're going to talk about a couple of things that are not as much proactive things on our part. Using the Bible and spending time in prayer and being involved in church and and with God's people, that's pretty much a proactive thing we do. I mean, we're responsible to take action on those things. These next two things are a little more out of our control. These next two things that God uses in our life to grow us spiritually are the people in our life and the past experiences that we go through. Both of which you and I have very little control over. You and I have no control over what people cross our path. Now, sometimes we think we do, and we try to control it, but the honest truth is if God wants somebody in my life, they're going to show up, and there's not a whole lot I can do about it. Same thing with our past experiences. We, we, don't, we have no control over our circumstances. God controls all that. So these next two things that God uses in our life to help us to grow spiritually, these things are totally and completely initiated by God, which makes it even more special that He actively takes a part in doing these things in our life so we can become a stronger Christian. Now, in the verses that I gave you last week on your study sheet, in Philippians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 12 and going down through verse 18. We're not going to read those today, but I do want to mention to you what is in those verses, which is why I wanted you to read it in preparation for today. Paul is in um, prison. And when he writes in Philippians 1, he says, the reason I am in these chains, the reason I am in prison, is because I am a follower of Christ. And he says... Don't worry about me, because what is happening to me is happening for the furtherance of the gospel. Then he talks about the fact that the gospel is being preached by two kinds of people. Number one, the gospel is being preached by those who love the gospel, sincerely believe it, and want it to be spread. But he also says there's another group of people that are preaching the gospel, and they're doing it not sincerely, but they're doing it out of envy. They're doing it thinking that by doing this, they're going to cause me more problems, even while I'm in prison. They're going to create more problems for me. And you know what Paul says in the latter part of that section, in Philippians 1, I think it's verse 17, you know what he says? What does it matter? What does it matter? One is telling people about the gospel because they really believe it. The other one's telling people about the gospel, and they don't believe it. They're just trying to cause me problems. Paul said, what does it matter? The important thing is, the gospel is being presented to people. So 
So what's the point? Do you know the main reason for everything that God does on this earth and in human life? Do you know the main reason? It's the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible gives us the first prophecy of a Messiah. It says that the seed of the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. What's he talking about? Satan is going to bruise the heel of Jesus Christ on the cross, but Christ will rise from the dead and crush the head of of Satan with His resurrection. Because with the resurrection and the payment of our sin on His death on the cross, Jesus Christ defeats death, defeats hell, and now there is not a human being that has ever existed who has to go to hell and spend eternity there. Because of the Gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ paid for our sins, and if we by faith will repent and accept that into our life, we are completely forgiven, given a home in heaven, and Satan loses. Do you know how many people were existing on the earth when Genesis 3.15 was written? Two. Adam and Eve. That's it. And from that point till today, everything written in the Bible and everything that has ever been done in the purpose of the mind of God is all for that one main purpose. That human beings understand that story and accept it and don't spend eternity separated from God. Now you stop and think about that. That's why we exist. I don't exist to be a father. I don't exist to be a husband. I don't exist to be a successful businessman. I don't exist to be rich. I don't exist to make my name known. I don't exist just so I can exist. Bill Crockett exists for one reason in the mind of God. So that through my life, somehow, some way, he can take that message and get it out to as many people as possible in as many different ways as possible before He brings me home. And that's the same purpose for every one of us. That is what life is all about. How many of you have ever seen the Charlie Brown Christmas show? And, you know, Charlie Brown gets his little tree, and and I love it so much we have it in Blu-ray. I mean, we watch it all the time. I love that thing. You, you come to my house sometime during the Christmas season, I'll be sitting downstairs in my lazy boy chair with the little fire thing going over here, and I'll have Charlie Brown's Christmas on the TV, and I'm down there all by myself watching Christmas jokes. I mean, I'm just a kid. Uh, I know you can't tell that, but I am. I'm just a kid. I love that show. You know, there's a statement in that show that's, that's very relevant to what we're talking about. Remember when Charlie Brown brings his little Christmas tree, and they all get mad at him and laugh at him because he's got this silly little tree? And they all walk off, ah, you know, laughing, even Snoopy, you know, ah, he's walking off laughing. And Charlie Brown leans his head back like he does when he's frustrated, and he says, who can tell me what Christmas is really all about? And then Linus begins his little speech. And there were in the field shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. And he tells the story of Christ. And then he looks at Charlie Brown. He said, Charlie Brown, that 
is what Christmas is all about. And I would look at you today and tell you that is what life is all about. It's Jesus Christ and what He did to make sure we spend eternity in heaven without suffering the punishment that we deserve for our sin. That's life. So, it's important that we understand that that's everything in the mind of God. Everything He does, that is His ultimate goal. Now, what has that got to do with the people in my life? What's got everything to do with it? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And the title of our lesson today is, Who are these people? Where did these people come from? 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 9. And here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice as we read this passage from Paul. And by the way, 2 Timothy is the last book Paul wrote. He's about to die. Not long after he wrote this, he was taken by Nero outside the city of Rome and beheaded. He gave his life for Christ. In this passage, I want you to notice one thing. All the different people he names that had a part in his life in some way. Let's look at it. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. First person. Who is he talking to? Who is he writing to? Timothy. So there's the first person in his life. This young Christian man he's discipling to take over his ministry one day. So he says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, here's another person, because he loved this world has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. All right, let's stop there. A lot of different people named in this story. I mean, this is one little short section of Scripture that Paul is writing at the end of his life, and he names all these different people that somehow had a part in his life. Now, notice quickly with me here, there are several different kinds of people here. Number one, there's Timothy, the young man he's discipling, kind of his sidekick that he's mentoring. Then there's Demas. Demas, the man who used to be his partner, but because he got caught up in the things of this world, left him and forsook him. Then there's some other people mentioned here. Cretans and Titus, Tychicus, uh, some other people. These are all people that were a part of his life, but have other responsibilities. So they didn't leave him because they were caught up in the world. They had other responsibilities in the ministry. That's why he says these people have all gone to different places. Only Luke is with me. Now, he's at the end of his life. He's about to die. Luke is the only one who is there with him in Rome. The only one. Then he goes on down. He mentions a young man here named Mark. Does anybody remember the story of Mark? Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey. They sailed from Jerusalem over to Cyprus, a little island out in the middle of the ocean. They ministered there. Then they got ready to leave and go up into Asia Minor, into the Macedonian area where you have all those churches, Philippi and Colossae, Ephesus, all of those, Corinthians. That's where all of those were. He's getting ready to leave this little island and go up there. And Mark says, I'm going home. 
I'm not going with you. So what does he do? He leaves and goes back home. Paul and Barnabas made their journey. They came back home. They're giving testimony. They get ready to leave again. Acts chapter 15. Paul says, Barnabas, we need to leave and go revisit our churches. Barnabas says, I want to take Mark with us. Paul says, not on your life. Paul was a no-nonsense kind of guy. Paul said, that young man quit on me before. He's not going with me this time. The Bible even says in Acts 15, there was a contention between Paul and Barnabas. So much so, they split ways. Paul took Silas and went on his journey. Barnabas took Mark. By the way, you know where Barnabas and Mark went? Back to Cyprus. That's where Mark had gone before. He was familiar with it. You're going to see Barnabas again in just a minute. And his effect he had not only on Mark, but on Paul. But notice what Paul says about Mark in this passage in 2 Timothy. Bring him with you because now he is valuable to me for the ministry. Evidently it changed over time. So here's the deal. Paul's got all these people that are part of his life. Paul was who he was, first of all because of Christ, but second of all because of all these people. So who are all these people that are coming into our life and how do they help me be stronger as a believer? Well, let's look at these things really, really quick. First of all, number one, what does God use these people to do? There are two things. And by the way, God uses everything in our life to do these two things for us personally. Number one, God uses people to fulfill His purpose in my life. In Jeremiah chapter 1, before Jeremiah was ever conceived, the Bible says, God had already ordained him to be a prophet to the nations. I hope that we all understand that before you and I were ever formed in the womb of our mother, God already had a purpose for our life. Every one of us is here for a specific reason. God doesn't do things by happen chance. God doesn't make decisions by flipping coins. God has a reason for everything. You and I exist for a reason. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us, to surrender our life as a living sacrifice, don't conform to this world. Be transformed by renewing of your mind so I can discern and understand the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The word will is the Greek word thelema. It means plan, purpose, design, desire, or choice. God literally has a plan and a purpose for my life. And according to Romans 12, too, whatever that plan is, it's good. It's acceptable, and it's perfect. You know the best way to live life? Is live it doing what God put me here to do. It's perfect. So, first of all, everything God does in our life is to help fulfill His purpose, including every person He sings along my path. Number two, God also uses people to help form His character in my life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-9, through 9, God lists for us character traits that we have to work at forming in our life. Unfortunately, these are not traits we're born with. These are character traits we have to form. Do you know that God uses people a lot of times to help form those? Have you ever had someone in your life that was just very um, obstinate? I mean, somebody that just, you wake up in the morning uh, after having a night full of nightmares because you've got to go to work and this person's going to be there. You ever have people that just, for lack of a better term, just irritate the snot out of you? I mean, every time you're... I mean, I mean they, the way they breathe irritates you. 
because of their attitude. I mean, you know, and the truth of the matter is, if we're all honest, every one of us, if we don't have them now, we have had them. And if you've never had them, you're going to have them. You know why? Because we're people. And we aggravate each other. We're really good at it. But do you know that every single person that has come across the path of my life who has irritated the snot out of me was sent there for a reason by God? When I was in Bible college, every time something difficult would happen, all the professors would say, God is building character in your life. I got to the place I didn't want no more character. It was too hard. But the, the essence is that's true. I don't know how many of you saw the Heisman Trophy ceremony last night. And one of the things that Robert Griffin III said in his speech that they say at Baylor is, without the fire, there is no steel. And without the pressure, there is no diamond. And without the difficult people in our life, we have very little character built. We've got to have that. God uses that in our life. I want to take your Bible real quick. Turn to Acts chapter 9. Let me show you two statements in the life of Paul that I believe are very important, and they both have to do with how God used people in his life to build who Paul was, to help him become who he was. Acts chapter 9, I want you to notice, first of all, beginning in verse number 10, and I'm not going to read it all, but there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Now, when Paul left Jerusalem on the road to Damascus, he had in his hand letters from the chief priest giving him permission to do what? Anybody remember? Kill the Christians, basically. I'm going from Jerusalem down to Damascus because I heard there were some of them Jesus people down there. I've gotten written permission from the chief priest when I get there to arrest and execute them. Ananias even told God, God, we know that's why he's coming here. And so God comes to Ananias in verse number 10, and he says, Ananias, and Ananias answers, yes, Lord. And then in verse number 11, God says, there's a man that I want you to go see. He's from Tarsus. His name is Saul. And he's, he's praying. He's had a dream. He knows you're coming. You know what Ananias said in verse 13? Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard a lot of reports about this guy and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, verse 14, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. God, I don't know if I want to go over there. He's come down here to kill us. And you want me to go over there? Now, now, let's be logical here real quick. Who is telling Ananias to go over there? His supervisor or the creator of the universe? God. Before we get too critical about Ananias, God ever told us to do something we didn't understand and we said, now, wait a minute, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? We all do that, don't we? Because we can't understand. I've told you this a hundred times. I'll probably tell you a hundred more. When God finally spoke to my heart and said, quit your job, I want you to go full-time in the ministry, I asked God a thousand times, are you sure you know what you're doing? I spent two weeks every day on my knees asking God, are you sure this is what I'm supposed to do? Ananias was just doing the same thing I would have probably done. God said, no, I've done something in his life. You know, here's the difference. Ananias knew what was going on in Paul's life, Saul, when he left Jerusalem. He had no idea what God had done 
on his way there. And the same thing is true with people God sends into our life. Outwardly, we may know outwardly what those people appear to be. We have no idea what God may be currently doing inside of them. And he wants us to help. God uses people in our life to fulfill his purpose and to form his character in us. That's what's happening. I want you to notice something. Look at chapter 9, verse number... um, Let's read verse number uh, 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, look at the next three words, has sent me. Why was Ananias put into Saul's life? Because God sent him there. You know that every person that crosses our path, ultimately God sent them there. Now, it may be for a variety of different reasons, but God doesn't do everything, anything by accident. Anything. So every person that crosses my path, that person you talked to this morning standing over here chomping on all that health food, every person you talked to or saw walking in here, those people you're sitting next to today, those people you will run into after you leave here today, None of those people was an accident. None of them. Did you ever wonder why in the world you ended up in Columbia, South Carolina? I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Until I moved to Columbia, South Carolina, I'd never been to South Carolina. And I certainly, not only never been, I'd never even heard of an Irmo. What is an Irmo? It's a town where they have an okra strut. But you know what? This is my home. I love it here. I know what Irmo is now, and I know what the okra strut is now. Because this is where God put me. And you are the people God put in my life. And God has changed my life by in part because of you. God does that with all of us. So number one, what do these people do? God uses them to fulfill His purpose. I want you to notice something else. Look at verse 26. Chapter 9, verse 26. When He came to Jerusalem, He tried to join the disciples. They were all afraid of Him. Not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Here's that guy again, Barnabas. He's always helping people. Paul went to Jerusalem. He said, I want to join up with all the believers. They all thought he was some kind of undercover narc. He ain't joining us. Last time he was here, he was killing everybody. Barnabas said, I know him. I know his confession is real. And Barnabas took him. And helped him. He did the same thing, by the way, to Mark. And helped him. Without Ananias and without Barnabas, there is no Saul. You know what? Without those people God has sent into you and my life, there is no us. We are who we are partially because of the people God has allowed to cross the path of our life. Now, we're either better for it or we're worse. What determines that? Look at the second thing. Number two, how do I approach these people? Let me give you three things real quick because we we are rapidly running out of time. Sorry, no miracles today. But anyway, three things. How do we approach these people, good and bad in my life? Three things. Number one, realize there is a purpose. I'm going to illustrate this for you just a second in Genesis chapter 50. Realize there is a purpose for everybody in my life. Number two, respond properly. You know, we have all kinds of opportunities to respond to people in certain ways. When we respond the way God tells us to respond, then His purpose gets accomplished. When we don't respond properly, we just make problems worse, 
and God's got to back up and start all over again. His purpose will get accomplished. It's just better off if I pass the test the first time instead of having to retake it three or four times. Then number three, rely on God completely. Whenever God sends people into our life, it could be that he wants us to help them. It could be that he wants them to help us. We don't know every time. So how do we deal with it? Number one, we realize there's a purpose. There's a reason why these people are in my life. Number two, we respond properly to them. What is that? I just treat people like Jesus treats me. Just love people and treat people like God tells us to treat them. Then you don't have to worry about why they're there. We know we're doing the right thing. And then completely rely on the Lord to take care of whatever the issue is. What is the illustration of this? In Genesis chapter 50, there is the conclusion of an amazing story that is taught from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. It's the story of a young man named Joseph. You guys all remember that story? Joseph, lots of brothers, Jacob his father. Joseph was next to the youngest, very good-looking man, intelligent, had a dream. And in his dream, God said, you're actually going to be in authority over all your brothers. So he went and told his brothers, thinking they'd all be excited about that. His father loved him. He made him a coat of many colors. He didn't make that for any of the other brothers. Brothers got jealous, threw him in a hole, sold him to a caravan, took him to Egypt, made him a slave to Potiphar, one of the rulers of Egypt. God's in control. All these people in his life. Potiphar's wife comes into Joseph's life. He's been blessed, promoted. Potiphar's wife tries to get him to sleep with her. He says, I'm not going to do it. I'll sin against God. He runs. He gets framed. He gets thrown into prison. In prison, he meets a chief butler and a chief baker. They both have dreams. The chief baker shows up first. He's telling Joseph about his dream, and Joseph said, here's what it means. You're going to be restored to your position and get out of here, and everything's going to be better than it was when you first started. The chief butler hears about it. And the chief butler says, hey, I heard you interpreted the baker's dream. I had one too. What's going to happen to me? Joseph said, you're going to get out of here and they're going to cut your head off. You're going to die. Wait a minute. How come you can't tell me something good? I'm just telling you what it means. So sure enough, baker gets out, gets restored to his position. Everything's great. Butler gets out, gets his head chopped off. He dies. Exactly the way Joseph said it would. Here's the problem. Joseph asked the baker, once you get out, will you please say a word to Pharaoh for me? Because I'm in here and I haven't done anything wrong. Will you at least appeal my case? The baker gets out. Everything's great. Two years go by. Every day for two years, I can imagine Joseph is waiting for those iron doors to swing open. And somebody rattling keys to walk down there and unlock that cell door and say, the chief baker pleaded your case and we realized we were wrong and you're free. For two years, he waited. Every day, nobody came. One day, Pharaoh has a dream. The chief baker happens to be there. Pharaoh calls in all the magicians. Nobody can tell him the meaning of the dream. The baker hears it. He says, oh, my word, I have, I have been a horrible, I have really blown it. I cannot believe I forgot to do this. Pharaoh, you got a guy right down here in your prison who can tell you exactly what your dream means. How do you know that? 
Well, because he told me what mine meant, and here's what he said, and here I am. They went and got him. Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh made him number two in all the land. A famine came. Joseph was in charge of everything. Jacob and the rest of the fathers of Israel, his brothers, were going to starve to death. God literally preserved the nation of Israel through the man Joseph as they all came to Egypt. And when you come to Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20, the story is about to end. Jacob dies. His brothers are scared because they think our father's dead. Now Joseph is going to get revenge. You know what Joseph says? In verse 19 he says, Am I in the place of God? What has happened to me? You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good so that literally He could accomplish His purpose and save many lives. You know what? Jacob was sent into Joseph's life as his father. All his brothers were put into his life to be jealous and sell him away. Potiphar's wife was put into his life. The baker and the butler were put into his life. Pharaoh was put into his life. Benjamin, his youngest brother, was put into his life. Every one of those people, for whatever reason, were put into his life. And because of those people, and because Joseph realized there was a reason, responded properly, and trusted God to take care of everything, the whole nation of Israel still exists today. How many times have people come into our life and maybe we didn't respond right? Or we burn a bridge that shouldn't have been burned? So if I do this, what's going to happen in my life? Well, I've given you four things. Let me tell you these. We're going to split. The hand of God, you'll see it working in your life. When we allow the people God sends to affect us the right way, you will start to see the hand of God working in our life. Number two, you'll start to see God changing other people through you. I will tell you, there is no greater joy in all the world than to watch God use you to change somebody else's life for the better. Thursday and Friday of this week, we're going to do an activity that the Friday before Christmas, you will literally, if you get to go with us, you will watch God change a whole family's life because of us. There is no greater joy in all the world than that. If we allow people to do in our life what He wants us to, and we realize there's a reason why they're there, and we respond properly, you'll start to see that. Number three, you'll start to see God changing us using them. We not only change them, God uses them to change us. And then number four, you'll start to see God's purpose for your life getting fulfilled. That will become clearer to you than you've ever seen before. The truth of the matter is, God's purpose for our life involves people. Life without, I told somebody earlier, I said, you know, life would be great if I was the only person that lived here. But it sure would be boring. Life is people. Who are these people? They're the people that God sent into my life so He could fulfill His purpose and form His character in me. Heavenly Father, thank You for the people You sent into our life to make us stronger Christians. Help us to respond properly and use us to fulfill Your purpose. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, we don't have a lot of time. But let's go ahead and break up in our groups. We've got our co-ed group over here, ladies here, men over here. Let's spend some time sharing and praying together.